I told you last week uh, as I was speaking that, what did I say my live big word was? Does anybody remember? Miracles. Miracles. And uh, so I thought, you know what, I'll speak on that this morning because it's my live big word. I want to speak about miracles. Is that all right? So um, has anybody got a lot of experience in miracles in the room? Patsy, can you tell us a miracle that you've received from God? Off the, just off the bat now, I've not prepared you. Wow. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that fantastic? Let's give that a round of applause. The, the fact that, I mean, that is a fantastic story and, and actually fits really well with what we've been saying because last week I spoke about living in a word, didn't I? About how, how we do, it's not just enough to know the word, but you've got to live in a word. And, and, and you said declare that word. And that's a part of what it means to live in a word is to, to receive it and then to live in the, the truth of that word until your body follows or until the circumstance follows or the situation follows the word, you know? So that's living in a word. That's a really good story. Uh, I, I want to speak to you about miracles this morning. And um, <clears throat> it, we're going to go to a passage of the Bible that is a miraculous passage. And it's a passage. Here you go, Jackson. I'll throw you that ball back. It, this is a... You throwing it at me? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Scary. Uh, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture that is a miraculous story. And I actually preached this two or three months ago, this, this very same story. But I declare to you today, I'm going to preach it far better than I did two or three months ago. So if, 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 if the story comes up and you go, oh, I've heard it all before, please stick with me. This is better. Okay, ready? Luke chapter uh, 5 and uh, verse 1 to 11 and uh, should come up on your screens, and we'll read it together. And it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, say, the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. It's still there today. Okay, the sea is still there today. Anybody been there? Patsy and Graham have been there. Did you swim in it? No, okay. Sailed on it. Cool. So the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. I think that's good. These are people that want to hear God speak. That's how church should be. Pressing in. What has God got to say to us? I think that's brilliant. 
He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Next slide. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Wow, that's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I read this passage and I've been studying it and trying to get underneath it and I've learned some stuff about this passage that I never knew before. Firstly, I want to tell you something about why this is a miracle. Why this is a miracle. Number one, Jesus is an inland carpenter who tells a professional fisherman how to fish. Just pause on that for a moment. It's like your teacher and somebody comes into your school, and their job is a cashier at Asda, and they come to you and say, no, 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 don't teach that way, teach this way. What are you going to do? You're like, ooh. An inland carpenter comes to a professional fisherman and says, I want you to fish again, and I want you to fish over there. Okay, strange. Next part. Secondly, they fish at night for a reason. And Jesus commands them to fish in the day. Here's why they fish at night. One, because that's when all the fish come out. Two, they can't see the nets. So, you know, there's a lot less. Uh, it's just easier to catch fish in the, in, in the night than it is in the day. No fishermen, even now, really go out in the day and come back. They don't do nine to five like every other job. When do fishermen go out to fish? at night. So Jesus is telling them, go out and fish in the day. To a professional fisherman, mind you. This would have been preposterous. They'd be like, what? <laughs> Thirdly, on this Sea of Galilee, the fish do not gather in the deep water. It still happens to this very day that fishermen will go out just a short way from the shore and the fish gather where the fresh water from the river coming into the sea meets with the salt water in the sea. And everyone knows on the Sea of Galilee, then and now, that that's where you fish. And that's where you'll get your best catch. The deep water, you don't catch fish there. So, let's put those three things together. We have a carpenter telling a professional fisherman how and where to fish. Two, we the fish don't, you can't catch fish in the day. Not many. Most fish come out at night. That's when they feed. That's when they come out from the rocks. And that's where you're most likely to catch them. And three, the fish don't gather in the deep water. 
They're in the shallows. Interesting. Do you remember the Elijah story where um, the prophets of Baal come out and they say, right, let's test whose God's the real God, remember? And he says, we're going to do a sacrifice and we're going to put the the bull on the sacrifice. And, And then just to make it super hard... Elijah covers the altar with water, doesn't he? So, like, this is going to have to be God if it burns up this sacrifice, because I have soaked the thing in water, right? That's the equivalent of what's happening in this story. Think, this is impossible. It shouldn't happen. This just shouldn't happen, okay? So, what we have is fishing in the wrong part of the lake at the wrong time of day. It should not happen. Nothing about what Jesus is saying to Peter should work. Now, that's really important. Miracles happen when nothing about this should work. Nothing about this should work. That's when you know you're entering miracle zone. You're entering into an opportunity for God to do something. When nothing about this should work. It's usually not when everything's as it should be. That's not when miracles happen. Miracles happen when you find yourself in a situation and you're looking around you and you're going, nothing about this should work. That's when we're in a place for a miracle. You may be looking around you. You may be looking at me, the preacher, looking at the band, looking at the people around you in your seats and going, nothing about this church should work. We're in the game for a miracle then. We're in the game for a miracle then. When nothing about this should work, that's when we're in the right place for a miracle. Peter was in the right place for a miracle and he didn't know it. Because he sat in the boat and he hears Jesus speaking, this carpenter. And he's like, I've been fishing all night. And you want me to go out in the day? I mean, if I couldn't catch any at night, I am definitely not going to catch any in the day. And then you're telling me to go to the deep water. Nobody fishes in the deep water, Jesus. Like, literally, everything about this is preposterous to a professional fisherman. And yet he says this, master. Or or in Greek, that word is actually um, epistatus, which could also be translated as teacher or rabbi. So depending on which version you use, some will say master, some will say teacher, some will say rabbi. Teacher, if you say so, we'll go out again. And he must have had to get his, his mates and go, come on, I know, I know, I know. We're going over there, fish over there in the day. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But if the teacher says so, let's go out to the lake and fish again. They go out, they fish again, they get an incredible haul of fish, like You have to understand, financially speaking, a catch as big as they've caught here is like winning the fishing lottery. Okay? This will make them and every one of their workers rich. Notice how when they called over the other boat, they didn't call over all the other companies. Bring the boat over. We've won the lottery. Literally, there were so many fish, they would have gone away and they would probably not have had to work for the rest of that year, financially speaking. They won the fishing lottery. It's incredible, isn't it? So they catch the fish. And then it says in verse 6, Then Jesus spoke, and this time the nets were so full that the, the nets began to tear. Uh, you need, you and I need a, and this time in our lives. 
Like there are some things we have tried and it didn't work. And we have pushed out in faith and it didn't happen. Or we believed and it just didn't come to pass. Or we prayed and the prayer didn't seem answered. And there are some things we need. And, and this time it did. That would be good, wouldn't it? I'm going to prophesy over us as a church and over you and your family and over your lives and, and this time this year where something that just hasn't cracked yet is going to get cracked and this time. Yeah? We've prayed for some miracles, but and this time it's going to work. We need an and this time this year, don't we? As a ch- I believe in we're going to step as a church into something different, into something fresh, into something miraculous this year. We're going to have an and this time. But look at Peter's response. After they catch this, this is quick, this is good. As they get this incredible catch, it says, uh, he responds by saying, in fact, I, I, oh no, can't read it on the screen. He responds by saying, not ma- master or teacher or rabbi. When, when he ca- gets the big catch, he actually responds to Jesus by saying, Lord, Lord, Kyrios in Greek, epistatas to Kyrios, master, Lord, because of a miracle. The miracle changes Peter's perception of Jesus entirely. You have to understand, Peter thought this was a miracle. At this point, he is now saying, I get it. You are Lord and can do whatever you want wherever you want, because that's what a Lord can do. Remember, that's the privilege of a Lord, isn't it? If you're a Lord, you can go anywhere and do anything on the basis that you're a Lord. And Peter has this revelation that Jesus is more than just a good teacher or a lucky fisherman. This isn't just that he got, you know, he, he, uh, he got lucky this time. Peter is convinced such that he responds to him as Lord that he has seen a miracle before his very eyes. A miracle. And he goes from teacher to Lord. As a Christian, we've got to get that revelation too. You see, many Christians have a revelation of Jesus as teacher. It's a good word. He's a wise man. Teaches me some good things. But we've got to get a revelation of Jesus as a Lord. You can do whatever you want with me, and I'll follow. You can say the word, and I'll be there. That's a different thing, isn't it? There's following his teaching. There's following his lordship. And Peter has this revelation that Peter has seen a miracle and he goes from master or teacher or rabbi to Lord. And it changes him entirely. I think that's incredible. Now, here's the thing. Jesus does this incredible miracle, draws all these fish into the right place in that lake for this catch and probably has enough to make them extremely wealthy. And then walks away. Jesus doesn't go, right, let's go and sell the fish down the market and let's, let's put it all in the bank. Right? No, Jesus doesn't need the wealth. Jesus walks away. And I think, fundamentally, the thing that made Peter leave his nets and follow Jesus wasn't the fact that Jesus did the miracle. It was that Jesus left the miracle behind. It changed his value system completely. Like Peter would have, on any other day, been like, let's, 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 let's go and buy a bigger house. Let's go and get four donkeys. Let's, let's go and get a better boat. I mean, literally on any other day, I think he would, but he'd seen his Lord. He'd seen a miracle. And then he'd also seen Jesus not bothered about the wealth. 
and walk away. And he's like, I have never seen anything like this in my life. And even then, Peter walked away from the miracle to follow Jesus. Have you noticed that before? Didn't stop to count the fish. Didn't stop to sell the fish. Didn't make, he just left his nets and followed Jesus. I have to follow this guy because this guy has a value system that is totally unlike my own. This guy can create wealth in the moment and then walk away from it. Wow. So the miracle isn't everything. But here's what the miracle does do, is it draws people to exalt Jesus as Lord. That's what miracles do. Now, sometimes in Western society, and particularly in Christian Western society, we get a little bit too focused on the miracle itself and not on the one who gave it. We just have a tendency to do this, don't we? And so, you know, if you hear about a revival that's happening or some sort of miracle that's happening somewhere, what you'll find is everybody's talking about the miracle. But in this story, everyone's talking about the Lord, Jesus. And the miracle is almost like, wow, but secondary to what does that reveal about Jesus they're about Jesus in this story. And they leave their nets and they follow him. I think that is really incredible too. So miracles happen when nothing about this should work. And then Jesus says the word. And we, he is exalted among us. And we see that he really is Lord and can do whatever he wants. And then we go, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's a bona fide, true, and incredible miracle. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp with like three wishes, whatever you need. Every miracle exalts him. Now, there are different kinds of miracles in the Bible. I'm going to just give you a quick kind of idea about what these miracles are. So there are creative miracles, and there are non-creative miracles. There are creative miracles... And there are non-creative miracles. Now, let me just give you a kind of idea about what they're about. So firstly, there are creative miracles. Creative miracles are the kind of miracles that Patsy spoke about earlier on. So Patsy, I think, experienced a living creative miracle. Creative miracle is when a bone attaches to a bone or a vital organ in someone's body is suddenly recreated or where a sickness retreats immediately. It's the miracle we think of most often when we think about miracles, a creative miracle. Now, we know. Could you stick that slide up for me that says creative miracles, John? It is there somewhere. Um, and this will give you a kind of a few ideas of, of some creative miracles in the Bible. If in doubt, just flick through them, John, and we'll get there. Struggling? The other one, the one that says creative. That's the end. Back, back, back. <laughs> we'll get there. You're doing a great job, John. There they are. Okay, creative miracles. Creation was a creative miracle. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was matter and time and all sorts of things. There are healing miracles. They are creative miracles. The incarnation of Jesus was a creative miracle. That was the creating of Jesus within the womb of the Virgin Mary was a creative miracle. Resurrections are creative miracles. God 
giving a whole new body to somebody or raising somebody from the dead is a creative miracle. How many of you would love to see a little bit more of the creative miracles of God? I certainly would. However, creative miracles, certainly in our nation at this time, appear to be quite rare. We don't see creative miracles all the time, even in quite kind of highly charged atmospheres of faith or, or tent meetings or revivals or, or large church experiences where there's a real like charge of faith. Even there, it's still exceptional to find a genuinely creative miracle, isn't it? Now, now, a lot of people have a lot of reasons why, and, you know, there's books on this. It's far beyond my understanding. But some people will say, well, it's, it's an issue with our faith. Some will say, well, it's an issue with our holiness. Some will say it's an issue with prayer. All, all manner of things, reasons given, that probably we don't experience enough creative miracles. But I would say a couple of things about creative miracles. I think if we can learn to live in God's word and keep studying it and believing it and trusting in it and stepping out of it, we, we will see more. Yeah. I have to believe that, and that's how I've chosen to live. Yeah. Secondly, the woman who was bleeding for years and years and years, do you remember her miracle? The Bible tells us that she reached out and she touched the fringe of his robe, and she was healed instantly. You know, you, even if you don't feel like you've got all of those things, those, those boxed, boxes ticked. You're not the holiest. You're not the closest. You're not the person who's right up against Jesus. And all you even got is the fringe of his robe is still enough for a miracle. Yeah. Can I tell you that? Because God's good. Because he's gracious. So please don't think, man, I have to improve and get to perfect level before I start seeing miracles. That's just not the way it was in the Bible. That's just not the way it operated around Jesus. I think she reached out. She just reached out. Miracle happened. So I think living in the word, I think reaching out, I think that's really important. I also think it's really important to understand that even if we had an abundance of creative miracles, that wouldn't solve our nation's problems. Jesus did an abundance of creative miracles and people still crucified him. People still were cynical. So to the hard-hearted, cynical unbeliever, even if they saw a creative miracle in front of them, that doesn't necessarily mean they will fall to their knees and say, Jesus is Lord. Because you need more than a miracle for salvation to happen. You need the Holy Spirit to bring the light, don't you? So, so please don't ever get into the mistake of going, oh, because we're not seeing an abundance of creative miracles, that is why our nation is not in revival. Listen, it will help us. It is an arm of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is not the whole of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit within us is as important as the Holy Spirit's work on our bodies and different things. So creative miracles are really cool. They're all through the Bible. We want more of them. And I want us as a church to believe and step into more creative miracles. But not at the expense or forgetting that there are also lots of non-creative miracles in the Bible. This is the second category. Are you ready? Here's non-creative miracles on the screen. Providential miracles. Providential miracles are non-creative miracles. Like the, the story of Jesus when he produced a coin in a fish's mouth. That's a providential miracle. Or, or when he drew all of the fish into the wrong part of the lake in the wrong time of day, just in time for Peter's nets. That's a providential miracle. God does those all the time. Or, or, or that financial gift that landed on your doorstep at just the right time as you prayed for it. Providential 
miracles. Do you know God's in the business of providential miracles? Wouldn't you like to step into a few of those this year? Out of the natural into the supernatural. So they're they're non-creative miracles. Position or chronological miracles are those miracles that happen like when you bump into someone at just the right time and just the right place for a breakthrough. The The chronology of it is just miraculous, but God brought A and B and C together at the right time, at the right place for something to happen. That's a miracle. We often don't see these miracles or think of them as miracles because we're so busy looking for the creative miracle and thinking, oh, but there's miracles happening all the time around us. I believe God is nonstop working his miracles, position and and chronology miracles. I think they're brilliant miracles too. Like like an example in the Bible is is when uh, Philip just happened to land and bump into a eunuch who was reading the scriptures and had a question. And then boom, Philip's there to answer the question and lead him to faith. And then he gets baptized. That's a chronological miracle. Transformational miracles. When a devious tax collector encounters God and overnight becomes a generous giver, that's a miracle. When a doubting, cynical person suddenly receives the faith to believe, that's a miracle of transformation. Or when an addict is set free and overnight won't touch that thing again. That's a transformational miracle. There are miracles all around us. Sometimes we do have a bit of an obsession with creative miracles and we forget God is doing miracles in the non-creative sense all around us. I want us to be a church that step into more of both. Creative miracles, non-creative miracles. I want you to be in a place where suddenly it's like God does a chronological miracle and you bump into somebody at just the right time as they had just the right question to answer their prayer. That would be awesome. Or when you give a gift of generosity and it turns out it was the answer to that person's very prayer and it became their miracle. Or you prayed for somebody because they asked you to and they saw a change or a transformation or a healing. This is an arm of the gospel that helps people see that Jesus is Lord, just as Peter did. We could run off with our miracle and forget Jesus. Of course people can. But the goal of the miracle isn't the miracle itself. It's to get people to see Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's Lord. That's cool, isn't it? So, when nothing about this should work, we enter into the miracle zone. Miracles always leave us in awe of Jesus, more so than the miracle itself. Creative miracles may be rare, but living in the word may help us to see some more. Non-creative miracles may not get so much press, but God is working nonstop in miraculous ways all around us. Take a moment. Is there an area of your life that feels like nothing about this should work? Is there an area of impossibility? Do you want to be open and aware of some more non-creative miracles? Could you get involved of being somebody's miracle? Together as a church, could we believe for a miraculous catch this year? 
As I read that story, it inspires me to trust. If Jesus says so, step out. Let him take care of the rest. I want us to do something very practical in response to this message this morning. Because as I was, um, where's my phone? As I was praying this morning, I just felt prophetically God was going to ask us to make seven steps. Seven steps. From the supernatural, sorry, from the natural into the supernatural. We've got to step into it. We've got to step out of us and into him, haven't we? We're going to have to step out of the natural and into the supernatural. This is firstly going to take place in our thinking. That's why I've preached this message this morning, because I want us to start thinking like, oh, yeah, God can do miracles and many kinds of miracles, and they're all around us, and he's nonstop working, and I can be a part of it. That's the first step, to get that in our minds. The second step is then to prophetically say, I want some of that, and I'm going to step into it this year. I'm going to step out of my natural and into the supernatural. So here's seven steps. We're going to firstly need to step from our needs into his provision. That's a supernatural step. My needs, natural. His provision, supernatural. I wonder if you could make that step with me this morning. I wonder if you could make that simple step to say, God, this year, let me step into something of your provision in my life. In Jesus' name. The second step is my effort into his transformation. There's some stuff you've been working on for years and you just feel like you cannot crack and it's just effort, effort, effort and you don't feel like you're getting very far and you're going to stop working in the natural and make a step into his transformation. He's going to do some stuff in you this year that is going to seem miraculous. Like it couldn't be done. My transformation. Step number three, my frailty into his power. That'd be a great step, wouldn't it? Because I'm frail, because I'm weak in myself. I often pray, and when I'm praying, you know, I've said it before, I pray on a hill every week, and as I'm praying, I'm often met with such an awareness of my lack. How could I? I look over the community. And there's thousands upon thousands of houses. And you look at yourself and you go, nothing about this should work. I got to step out of my frailty in the natural. Step into his power. Number four. Going to ask us to step from our ideas into his wisdom. My idea of how it should be. He knows how it should be. And sometimes my ideas and my thoughts and my um, assessments are what I live in. And my assessments are far from the complete picture. They might have a, a kernel of truth. They might have a certain perspective. But God's wisdom and God's knowledge goes far beyond mine. And it's time to step out of just seeing things how I see them. Danny said this earlier on when she talked about perspective. It's about not just seeing things uh, as I see them, but stepping into his wisdom. And then things start to get miraculous. Things start to get supernatural. Are you following me? Right, there's three more. Number five, I'm going to step out of my sickness and into his healing. That's a supernatural decision. I'm not going to live in this sickness, accepting it anymore. 
I am going to step into a place where I'm believing the supernatural of God is going to meet me in my body and cause a creative miracle this year. Number six, I'm going to step out of my emptiness and into his fullness. You know, if you've come this morning and you feel in your faith life or emotionally or, or physically or spiritually empty, I've got nothing left, God. I'm not carrying anything. There's nothing filling me. Step out of the natural into his fullness. Can I tell you, nothing about that should work. You are in an opportunity for a miracle. You're in a place for a miracle where God can fill you. And lastly, number seven, I'm going to step out of my vision and into his purpose. My idea about the future into his idea about my future. That's a miraculous step as well. Imagine if we could make those seven steps this year. Even just making one of them would be a good, wouldn't it? Imagine if we could make a step. I'm going to step out of the natural and into the supernatural. I'm going to say, yes, even though nothing about this should work, I'm going to do a Peter. Even if you're just humoring Jesus, because that's all Peter was doing. Basically humoring him. Going, well, Jesus, you know nothing about this lake. You know nothing about fishing. You know nothing about fishing today. Nothing about this should work. But I'm going to humor you because you're a teacher. And I'm just going to go with it. And there's some of you in this room that are like, Mike, I've heard it all before. We've been around the block. I've read these stories yet. Nothing about this should work. But I'm going to humor you, Mike. Then take a step and humor me. You still never know. What might happen with a miracle? You just have to get to the fringe of the robe. Just even the fringe of the robe. That's all we have to get to. And the miracle can happen. Can we stand and pray? Everywhere we go, 